everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for March. Because we're doing months now. Not just doing years. Too far into 2019. Can't even say Happy New Year to people. Um, This is kind of like... Is it a repeat offender? I don't know. They're just offensive anyway. So I thought we'd bring them back in. Um, We spoke to this person round about Christmas time. I think, and so we brought them back in because um, I said I would, and I am a person of my word, and so joining me is Emma May from MR Studios. Hello, Emma. Hiya. That's excited. <laughs> you say, I know, I'm so excited. Sound <laughs> totally glorious to be here. Um, energy level, minus two. I'm not... I'm- I'm not as hyper as I was with the pugs. I think that, you know, like all these kind of bad habits that eventually they kind of take over your life and they just drain you of your energy. So I take it, have you put them away? Have you burned them yet? They're actually behind the laptop, so they're quite close. I hope you do not happen to kind of bring them out. I'm kind of glad you you turned off the camera so I don't have to see them. Um, Actually, the camera is staring at them. (laughs) I don't want to know. Um, <laughs> for people who haven't listened to us for the first time, uh, thank you for listening to us. Um, the reason that we do this is quite simple because I like doing it. There you go. It's a good enough reason to do anything. If, you know, if mm-hmm. it's legal, then kind of crack on. And the second reason that we're doing this is because, as I say, we spoke to Emma back a couple of months ago. And at the time, I interrupted her in her explanation about um, marketing, getting your game to market and all these wonderful things. So two things happened. First of all, we're going to speak a little bit about what we were meant to be speaking about. And I said we were going to hold off speaking about because we wanted to bring it back for another show and another kind of time when we had some time to talk about it. And the second reason is that you also put some questions out to Twitter. (laughs) And I was just like, what are you doing? So <laughs> well, it's the same thing that we're going to talk about because I think all of the things that were asked yeah. were around this subject. Yeah. So we got, or at least I can I can mold it into the subject that we're going to talk about anyway. So we can put on, um, we can put on our business faces. So I've got my business face on. Have you got your business face on? Always. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I've got I've got my business hooded top. Um, it's time for business. Me too. It's time for business. It's time for business. Yeah, I went out in my. I went. I went to London the other day, and I was wearing my MS Studios hoodie, um, because it's just the most comfortable hoodie I've got. I don't have any other hoodies. And my friend was like, "Great marketing, Emma." I was like, "I'm just comfortable." (laughs) 
It's the other thing is as well is people will be wondering what kind of music you make if you go about wearing an MR Studios kind of top. Folk will be saying, you know, no, no then, fine then. That's I, I, don't, I don't know. Okay, okay. Um, I, I do worry about wearing this shirt out in public. Why? Because then people can look me up and then know what I do. Like anyone could be on their phone going, oh, what's the mesh studios then? And then just find out my company. It's kind of like one of those things, isn't it? It's the Groucho Marx thing. Is They can stalk me on Twitter and see all the <laughs> stuff that I've written. I wouldn't. Whilst I'm like out with friends doing other things. I wouldn't want to have a club be part of a club that would have me as a member kind of thing. I'm always worried about that. That's why if I've got t-shirts and that made, it's only got the it's only got the um the kind of the logo on it. It doesn't really have anything else. So at worst case people think I'm a roadside company. You know. Um it's one of these things. Yes you gotta be Let's, seen, but then it's like sometimes you're too seen. I know. And then you can just get you know, <laughs> I don't know. I was originally going to, I thought, oh, I'm kind of tempted to make kind of multiple t-shirts and just kind of different colours and just have a different t-shirt for every day. But I've not got that far because buying those types of t-shirts is quite expensive. It's not good. Anyway, shall we move on with the quay? It's a labour of love. It is. (laughs) It's like, I don't know, it's like 14 quid for a t-shirt. It's ridiculous. Should should we just, should we hold off on the questions as long as possible? Just answer them all at the very end. Yeah, just like do one more dancer. It's like, yeah. No, yeah. And then we'll come back to it in the next no. episode. It's just an excuse, <laughs> any excuse at all. Um, but we should catch up. How are things anyway? Are you busy? Um, A little bit. It's been slow. Well, I wouldn't say it's been slow, but it's been eventful, I'd say. Yeah. thing is, do, do you know what? I see it differently because people around me go, oh, my God, we've done this, 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 and this. And I'm like, yeah, but nothing's happened really. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of everybody celebrating their own victories and I think people have a right to kind of celebrate their own victories when they decide they're going to celebrate their own victories. And it's difficult because it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like your measure. Okay, look at it this way, right? I posted up that um, (coughs) we reached a milestone in the number of... um, in the number of downloads that we had. But there's part of me that's saying, am I bragging about this? Or am I just no. saying it's a milestone? Or am I saying I'm proud of this achievement? It's kind of a mixture. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like a mixture of different things. Yeah. I, I don't want people who are maybe not got as many downloads going, oh, you're just bragging. But there'll be some people out there going, ha, a piffling 60,000. That's ridiculous. How dare he even brag? He should be cowering in the corner with that level of kind of interest kind of thing. So it's a it's a strange kind of thing. But see, I think it, it, it's really hard to to decipher that. I do have some news, like like you say, congratulations on your downloads, by the way, because that is phenomenal. It wasn't me that did it. It was other people. So I can only, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like what other people were saying it about you. No, other people have downloaded it. I don't. It's not like I'm on the download button going download, download, delete, download, delete, download, delete. No, it's kind of... Um, no, but that that's why it's it should be congratulated. Yeah, I guess. Because you have got an audience coming to you and listening to your, your podcast. We'll see for how long. <laughs> I'm, always oh, people, I'm always worried people <laughs> are just going to have enough. They're just going to go somewhere else, you know. It's kind of like, do you ever... 
I don't know, do you ever get that feeling where you listen to or you experience somebody else's stuff that's involved in the same sphere as you and you're just like, oh, this is so much better than anything I do. I was listening all the time. I was listening to <laughs> I was listening to there's a couple I listen to at the moment. Um I'm always impressed with the works of um Dan Hughes and Mike Delisio, who have both been on the show but sporadically bored. And I listen yeah. to their stuff and the way yeah. they just do conversation is just amazing. But then I've started um I think I listened to some of theirs with you actually. Yeah. They're just amazing. They're just like yeah, so It's just nice. really good. Really, really good. Yeah, yeah. And they just don't necessarily talk about board games. It's absolutely fantastic. And I also um, listen to um, Ben Maddox, um, Five Games for Doomsday. And he does like, he's quite, he's not afraid just to kind of drop a quick kind of show that's like 10, 15 minutes when he does like a review. So he does like, he does kind of, interviews he basically he stole my idea about you know the three games you would take on the zombie apocalypse i'm pretty sure because he's been going a year (laughs) so i'm pretty sure he stole it he says it's desert island discs i don't believe him um but uh he does this amazing kind of show that you know you're just like his production values are right up there the sound quality is amazing and i'm just sitting there and partly i'm enjoying it and partly i'm scratching my nails down the walls in sheer unadulterated jealousy that's just the way that it is so i don't know i don't know if you if you've experienced i I was talking about this yeah i i have it i've experienced it with other people um some in the board game sphere some not in the board game sphere and it's i think literally i was saying this to someone last night or was it even today? Because um, it was just a revelation because sometimes you can spend so much time looking at what other people are doing and then feeling so <laughs> inadequate in yourself because you think, oh, they're doing this, 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 and this. And I'm over here doing these things, but that's not good enough. I should be doing all of those things. And then we end up just trying to do so much that we don't go anywhere at all. And it's yeah. just it's so important for you to like focus on what you're doing and enjoy the things that you like and don't worry what other people are doing and just enjoy their content and watch them grow. Yeah. And then you'll be much better. They'll be much better and you'll be both supporting each other. Yeah. We're still such a tiny kind of place in the map Mm -hmm. that I think it's really, really, it's really, really difficult kind of to, um, I don't know. We're so small, even like the big guys are still really small compared to kind of other media and content creators. And I think sometimes it's kind of like, oh, you got you, you got them on the show, or you've just done this, or how did you manage to do that? But sometimes it's like, well... You- do you know what? It's, it is really strange, though, because, I mean, I'm not that big, and most people come to me and they're like, oh, my God, I'm just doing all this stuff. And I'm like, okay. But it, it's a weird kind of place to be in because some people act as though you're a lot bigger than you are and then in other circles you're nothing no i totally get that i'm always pleasantly surprised when somebody actually even it's like um you know somebody just like leaves a a lovely comment on twitter or puts a note on a facebook or just drops you a dm and, and says something nice and you're just like first of all it's like that's that's really nice thank you and secondly is if you if you got the right person Yeah. (laughs) Are you kind of of sure? You kind of think, you kind of think, I'm just a normal person. Yeah. 
I'm just doing what I really enjoy and I'm just trying yeah. to make something happen. But but that has an influence and an effect on other people, yeah. especially when you're... It's, it's that thing where it's don't compare your, your chapter one to someone else's chapter 20. But the people that are like doing that sort of stuff and you're at the beginning, it's great to have that connection and i think i think the strange thing for me is when i started i was reaching out to really big people like um ian livingstone yeah. um i i actually i have had a couple of conversations with him um and he signed a book for me uh and uh, i don't know if you've seen the or heard the podcast with um unlucky frog and i was like yeah i just approached him and asked him to mentor me yeah. but i don't think he's he wanted to mentor me um <laughs> but I mean, you got you got to ask people, um, <laughs> or you've got to do strange but, um, kind yeah. of hassling things, which is to kind of um, passively aggressive tweet tweet at somebody until they actually say, "Look, what is it you actually want?" Which <laughs> no, no, you don't do that. At all. Yeah, but I I did reach out to like huge creators, like people who have been in the game for years, because those are the kinds of people that I want to be able to emulate mm -hmm. and build my journey towards. And what I'm seeing is that now that I'm breaking into the market with being in Waterstones and there's possibly a couple of other shops that I might end up getting into this year, that people are now coming to me going, Emma, how you done it? And that is actually one of the questions that I was asked for this podcast. It's how do you get into like high street retailers or even just how did you get into small indie stores? And building your brand shall we um shall we then jump into a couple into of questions? questions let's jump into a couple because you've got the i don't know the questions because the, i have the questions the trouble is yes what happens is that you some you kind of started off a topic and then everybody else kind of piled in with questions and by that time the thread is like 1400 messages long and you know i'll be honest i'm just like going that. on for days i'm just like that what <laughs> No idea what's going on. Anyway, you. Uh, it's you a bit insane, isn't it? Twitter's getting and, a bit too much. And you can to probably answer them. them. So I'm going to go off and have a cuppa while you finish off the rest of the show. Well, I'm, I'm just going to do the podcast on my own, am yeah, I? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. Thank you okay, very much I'd... for offering. Yeah. <laughs> um, the questions are shall I just tell you all of them and then I will answer uh, the pandemic question or. The second Whatever part of you our, feel, just, just, third just, part of answer, just ask them. Okay, the questions are, hmm. how have you managed to get Quirk into as many locations from small indie stores to Waterstones? And that was by One Survives. Right, okay. My second question was, Hello, One Survives. any advice on marketing? Who was that? Any... By Crooked Tower. Okay. Um, and the third one was by Karen Rubens from Kazmantra. Yes. Um, turning. How do you turn a game into a business? Ka uh, Karen did like comic turns, didn't she? Yes. Yes, she did. That that's a huge, huge question, which I won't be able to get round to in the next ten minutes. But I mean, most of these questions I can mould into um, the pandemic method that I was talking about before. Then fact your brilliance, basically. Yeah, that's my slogan. <laughs> Is it on? Um, is, it on <laughs> is it on your hooded top? It, no, it's only on on my Kickstarter campaign for uh, Hallows Infect Your Brilliance. It's disappointing. But it comes from it comes from pandemic. 
But I thought Pandemic is such a brilliant game because once my friend taught me how to play it, mm. I instantly saw how I was growing my business. I need to hear this. I need to hear the story. Do you know what I'm going to well, do? See, um, you already. I'm, I'm going well, to just sit back and I'm going to shut up, and you can okay. you can tell the good people. I will I'll promise you, I won't story. I won't interrupt at all. Oh, it's nice to have a bit of back and forth in conversation. Um, well, this is me. Of course, there's going to be this. So, of course, of course. Um, it's the same stuff we talked about with Amazon. Mm. And how you grow your sales in Amazon. So this is why it, it kind of makes sense that um, you know turning a game into a business, advice on marketing, and how you get into all of these stores, you use the same process. Um, so setting that foundation and then growing upon that. So also knowing where your goals are and what the steps are at every level. If that makes sense. Yes. So. If you, for a business, you need to know exactly where you're go- you want to be heading, even if it seems impossible right now. Um, and then you have to then take yourself all the way back to where you are and then look at the thing that's right in front of you and trying to manage to make that happen mm. before you can make the next 10 steps happen. Um, and for me, that was, um, if I go straight to how do I get into stores? Yeah. Well, I've got a game concept I'm going to find as many stores as I possibly can and I'm going to then pitch my game idea to them, send them a copy, get them to play it, start this building a relationship with them. Um, And then from there, I'm nurturing those conversations and relationships so that they then buy it in. And once they've brought it in, then I'm nurturing them through that sales process and making sure that everything's going well um, so I can get those repeat orders. And then once I've managed... So these are the little steps. It's like, one, get into a shop. Two, yeah. get the repeat orders. Once I'm getting repeat orders, I can then use that story to leverage a larger chain. So I'm going to a bigger company and saying, you know, we're in this store, this store, and this store. And actually, at Christmas, they've sold out every two weeks and they've had to keep getting my games back in. So my game really does sell when it's in shop. So I've got this little story of success I can tell. So you got a different way of okay. I mean, talking from a board game perspective, you've not mentioned once about that. Could be you've not mentioned once about the product, which is interesting because I could have com. What do you well, mean? I haven't. Well, I could have conversation with conversation with board game designers, the guys that come on Kickstarter again and again and again, and they talk very much in terms of gameplay and mechanics and graphics and models and miniatures and you're talking it strictly from a business point of view it sounds like i've got this game these are the reasons these are the features these are the benefits these are the reasons why you could be like another store that i deal with and you could be getting lots of orders and therefore kind of making money if you stock our product and i i've not Uh i i never heard that from anyone else i've never honestly in the 250 I, I think that's really bizarre that is really bizarre because <laughs> i mean it's not bizarre because i mean if you if you've made a a game that's got very unique mechanics in it you're selling it based on the mechanics whereas with quirk it, it is a party game yeah it's a card game yeah. and it, the thing that i find really difficult is i walk into a room and i tell everyone that i've made a card game but i never ever tell them how to play quirk ever 
yet people buy it from me. And I think it's just that that point of I'm so enthusiastic about the product itself and the people around it that suddenly it's like you, you don't buy what you want or you don't buy what people are selling, you buy what other people want. So as soon as I say 6,000 people have brought this game, suddenly you're more likely to want to buy it, whether or not you know how to play it or not. But someone else has played it and they loved it and they brought it for their friend. It's fidget spinners, isn't it? I mean, the product itself was sold on a concept of being educational and in some ways being therapeutic to a certain type of person who maybe had a difficulty concentrating. And by the end of it, people bought it because other people had fidget spinners, because other people's kids had fidget spinners. And people bought the version with lights because other people's pay, you know, other folks' kids had the version with lights. So it's almost kind of like that. It was taking it from being almost like a necessity purchase to just being a kind of a proper kind of you needed to have it. People started collecting them, didn't they? Yeah. And but the thing is, with fidget spinners, it was a trend, and now nobody talks about fidget spinners. Yeah, but I think. Um, it kind of work. I think it kind of does its does its thing at the time. Um, I don't know. It might be something that'll be end up being a slow burner on the shelf that people will probably less places will stock it because I remember going into like a four court garage and them having a box of fidget spinners on the on the um, on the counter. I remember that. I remember yeah. going into anywhere at all and them having like fidget spinners ready for sale on the counter because they were flying out the door. I reckon you still have them, but I think it's going back to um, it goes from being specialist niche to mass market, and then it goes back to being specialist niche again. If you know what I mean. Yeah, but that it depends on your product as well. So. Quirk is a lifetime product, so it's not going to phase out like fidget spinners will because people will always pick up a card game and want to play it on holidays. Yeah. For example. Yeah. Um, but great, great, great analogy because if you can look at how other things sell and work out the basis on what that what those things are selling in those kinds of volumes, then you can then start applying those lessons to the the card game or board game that you're you're inventing. Um, and I I do find it really interesting that you said that I say something different to what other board game designers say when they're trying to get it out into the stores. But I also recognise that going into retail is probably one of the hardest things that board gamers have attempted to do because you look at the Kickstarter campaigns and everybody runs a Kickstarter campaign over and over and over again. And I even read um, Elan Lee's... Um, he did a, a was it with Forbes or Inc.com? Mm. But he was talking about how he got it into retail and even he struggled to put it into retail and had to learn all these new ways in which you put a game to market in that way. But Kickstarter, they said, was the easiest method for them to take. Here's a so, okay, here's a thing I for mean, you then. Do you reckon that a lot of board game companies are approaching the market in a fidget spinner? type fashion do you think at the moment that we are in a kind of a fidget spinner board game economy that there's very few games that kind of last and there's a lot of games that seem to be kind of everywhere everybody has them 
and then they just disappear and you never see them again. I'll give you an example. Wingspan. Now, it's at the beginning of its journey and it's absolutely doing gangbusters and everybody's kind of talking about it. And I'm just wondering if people are still going to be talking about it in 12 months' time because I remember that, you know, Pandemic Legacy Season 1, everybody went crazy for it and then, you know, it kind of died to death. That seems to be the kind of the current trend with board games. A lot of noise, a lot of loud trumpets, and then you hear absolutely nothing from these things again and again and again. I think that is a massive problem in this industry we're in. Actually, I don't know if you've seen the the problem that I'm trying to combat at the moment is with um, Kickstarter and um, backers and how backers view creators' projects. And when a, a creator funds a project and the, then those delays happen, which I think we might have spoken about in another podcast, that these backers are just going on with the trend um, and they're getting really excited about the project when it's being talked about the most. And then six months down the line or even 12 months down the line because the project's delayed, they're losing their love for it because 10 other Kickstarters come out since then. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I kind of, I have this passion to want to help the kind of creator side of, of things. And also because this culture is happening and I don't feel like anybody's really addressing it to say, hang on a minute, do you actually know what happens behind the scenes when a creator is delayed with a project? Because there's so many things that we do as creators when we start making a game that we don't actually think about, well, in fulfillment, this thing might happen or this thing might happen or this thing might happen, which means I won't be able to fulfill it by the the date that I've actually set for myself to fulfill it in. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think... Because um... it's always a creator-defined goal to say okay i'm making this game in may and you'll have it by december but if you're printing in china and then the factory doesn't decide to print your game until really late and it doesn't get shipped out and then the ship gets delayed and then it gets stuck in customs and then december rolls by and you're not getting your games out until march the next year people are like why is it three three months late and then they don't read the updates and that's the most painful thing because then you get hate comments. Yeah. So I want to educate more people who are coming to Kickstarter to back a project because they're really excited about it. And then you get these massive companies doing the same thing and they've got hundreds of people working for them and they're, they're pushing their games out. They've got the money to spend to go to China and to work out all of those intricacies that independents can't do. And then okay. um, Big getting, games a, still getting get delayed, a service... Though. They do, yeah. but I mean, they get a better service with a bigger company. Whereas when you're you look like a big company, but you're just one or two people behind the scenes, then that's really hard for the creator that's doing it with this sort of passion or this this love for making board games. And people mm. are hating on you because you still have to pick yourself up in the morning and go out and still do that. And I don't think your the backers of that really appreciate how they're affecting that creator in delivering those projects. So I, I just, in, in the emotional side of thing, I want to support and educate in a wider way that you're not seeing through this build-up of board games yeah. being developed. No, I mean, I know um, Lacey fought from Orange Nebula. Um, and I, she says this on a number of occasions on the, the Outpost podcast, um, 
that you've always got to remember that whenever you're sending an email or a snippy message or a complaint to somebody else is that you are sending that to a person that, you know, unless it's an automated service, another person's going to read that message. And um, you have to be, <laughs> you know, kind of potentially aware of, I mean, obviously complain if it's, you know, if it's a valid complaint, but you always need to be always having the back of your back of your head that you are actually speaking to another human being. Somebody. And whether or not that... What's it? Emotional intelligence. That's what it's called. Something like that. <laughs> it's not something that, yeah. you know, I can barely spell the word, let alone kind of use it. But I know, I know kind of where kind of people are coming from. I don't think you would be the type of person to go on to someone's comments and be like, I'm really disappointed that this project's been delayed. I use the word disappointed because I find, you know, there's no point in saying, oi, you know, bum face, I don't like you. But if you say... Okay, like, can we get something straight, what, right? What? There's no, pro- there's not a problem with someone going on to Kickstarter and saying, I'm really disappointed that this is late. The problem that I have with it is that you have creators that will send update after update after update and hmm. tell you exactly what's happening and where the delays are. Yeah. And the people who don't bother to read it and then still go on there with a grudge against the creator, that that's the type of energy that I want to get rid of and help them to understand what's actually happening. Because I, I mean, I've backed a lot of projects and a lot of them are delayed. And I, what I do is periodically go back and check my projects and say, okay, that one's supposed to come hmm. in February. It hasn't been shipped yet but let me go and look at their updates okay so they've said that it's going to be delayed so i'll just leave that until i hear something else from them but if it got to like six months down the line and there was no project updates i'd be like okay well i backed you six months ago where the hell is this thing is that when you would break out like the bad words and the swearing and the veiled threat? <laughs> is that what you would do then but then again, I think I'd do it privately <laughs> to be fair mm-hmm. and i wouldn't be mean to people i think it depends on um it depends on people's exposure to Kickstarter as well, because I've seen, say, um, Dark Souls Kickstarter is a prime example of a lot of people that rushed to buy or get involved in a game and didn't understand exactly how kind of Kickstarter worked. And then when things started to go a little bit awry, um, I mean, they kind of pretty much kicked off. Now the Bloodborne, the Bloodborne board game, that's coming out very soon. I think it's actually coming out potentially this month um, by Simon. Uh, so I'll be interested to see kind of what kind of backers it kind of attracts as well. If it's going to be, but I also think if you get if you start getting a larger audience, and this is why I like doing small campaigns, you get a large audience, hmm. then you can't control exactly what's happening with that. And plus, if you do start getting really big and you're making X amount of money on Kickstarter, that's when you should be starting to hire in more people or looking at ways in which you can manage that. Because you just, yeah. when you scale, you scale the problems with it. Yeah, I guess it's difficult to bring in. It's, I guess it can be difficult to kind of bring in staff that you want to be dealing with that level of pressure, though. I mean, if you run, I mean, if okay, look at it this way, and I'm just being argumentative because it's it's you, and I know I can be. But if you <laughs> run, if you had like say a ten grand target to make, you know, a another, you know, with the weather gods board game. Say I kind of got off my butt and actually made that into an actual game. 
and everybody absolutely loved it. And it ended raking in £125,000 or whatever, yeah? It'd be mm-hmm. difficult... <clears throat> It'd be difficult, though not impossible, to actually potentially bring somebody in to work on a customer service level. But then you move from being somebody that's running a running a Kickstarter campaign to kind of dealing with staff. And I wouldn't know if you'd be would you be a full a fully fledged ongoing business based off the back of one campaign. I I would um, manage the the actual campaign with not when I say staff. I mean, like, bring people in that will be able to help you yeah. to manage that in a, in a better way yeah. um, without using all your cash flow that you're making for the game to be printed on people because otherwise you're going to put yourself in debt very quickly. Yeah, There's ways of, ways of managing things, and I, I mean, I've never done that, so I wouldn't be able to give you an exact solution to that, but there would be a way. There's always a way. I believe that. <laughs> um. I went on a tangent. You, you did. Um, I just let you just. We run haven't away. even spoken about the actual thing we come to speak about, um, which is the panda- pandemic method. Um, but we did touch on it a little bit with how I said or described how I got into shops and how I've grown into bigger shops and using that and leveraging some of those, you know, benefits and features. Shouldn't really say that, but yeah, how you leverage those conversations so that you can then gain traction on those steps or goals to the bigger goal. No, it's like any sales process. I use it all the time at work. You know, the question that you'll yeah. always get asked is, okay, if you want to provide us with a service, there's two things that they ask. What other what other businesses have you worked with which are work within our kind of our sphere, basically? So, for instance, if it was like if I was going in and pitching to, say, a toy company to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, Going back again to the weather, this mystical game, the Weather Gods. Whether the Weather Gods is actually the full working title, um, coming to Kickstarter twenty nineteen, and um, that's not true. It could be true. It could <laughs> be true. Um, any publishers want to make? There's still people out there that are going to work with me on that. I'm pretty sure of it. But one of the questions would be, okay, why should I stop this game? And if you say, well, actually, I've worked. You know, I've got six independent small stores. They've bought five to ten copies each and they sold out within three or four weeks that's the kind of the leverage i'll be talking about once that's what they want to know about exactly they want to know if i'm giving you 15 pound a copy or 10 pound a copy or 25 pound a copy or whatever i'm shelling that money out and whether it's a 60 day invoice cycle or whatever how quickly am i going to make that kind of money back off you which is always kind of yeah, and I think that's that's the side of being a creator that you've you've got to change your mindset on because you you build something because you're passionate about it, and if you're so passionate about how your game is played and and what people are finding it, all, all this sort of stuff, it, sometimes that is very interesting to someone, especially in smaller independent shops that will actually sit down and play it. But most of the time, when you're going to a big shop, uh, like say something like Waterstones, yes, they care about how it's played and whether their customers will be interested in it because that's where they're going to get the sale. But what they're also interested in is, is it selling and how much profit am I going to make off selling this game? Because retailers are taking the biggest risk with your game. Mm. And if you love it and the people around you, you know, a small network have brought from you, but it's not going to go, you know, it's going to sit on a shelf next to a pandemic or something, you know, something else. You're, if your um, game goes in there and doesn't sell, then it's taking up shelf space. Yeah. 
and there's another product that will sell that will make the money so that's kind of the thinking that you have to go along you have to kind of take yourself away from being emotionally attached to something that you've spent months and months or maybe years working on and then realize it's just something someone's going to buy and someone's going to make money down the line um i don't want to get too into being so negative about or unpassionate about that side but that is business um but so i say it the pandemic method is literally about how um the viruses spread and spread really fast so this is why it touches on marketing and building a business and getting yourself into stores because what you have to look at in any aspect of business and, and building a, a game into a business or any product into a business for that matter is how quickly can I get this to scale in smaller places? So with so this is where we talk about niching yes. and, and the the very first conversation we had was on Amazon. And I, I've seen a lot of creators do this since we spoke about it, which is niching your product in a category on Amazon that isn't as um, competitive as the massive one like Toys and Games because there's 2 million products in there and you'll get lost instantly. But if you can put yourself in a place where you stand out against a load of our products you're going to sell a lot more and then once that sells and has the energy around it and people are talking about it infecting your brilliance in that area then you can go to the next area and start infecting your brilliance which is what happens when you're playing pen- pandemic and you get free blocks on one place mm-hmm. and then this next place has it's got maybe got one block on it but then there's another block to the other side that's got three blocks and then you have an outbreak and it outbreaks to the next city and then three blocks go on that and then that outbreaks again. So it's like, if you can use that on Amazon and you can outbreak to become the best seller because you're climbing those ranks and if you can go into one small indie shop and sell out and then you can use that to go to another indie shop and sell out and you can do that to another indie shop and sell out, then eventually you can say, I'm in 10 stores and then you can leverage your next deal with somebody else, like I did with my distribution. Um, and then get, by getting into a distribution and having that name next to me, then I could then go and talk to the buyer at Waterstones that then how, then said yes, because I pitched the concept. Um, and then that got into, well, we're now in five five Waterstones stores and we're trying to, to now outbreak again into the rest of Waterstones across the UK. So kind of using my story a little bit in there as well. But you can see what I mean. And I did the same thing in networking as well. So I'd go to networking events and I'd start off with, you know, being that shy person in the room and talking about product. And the more people I met, the more people got infused about my product. So if I'm talking to them and I'm really enthusiastic and I'm affecting my brilliance with other people, what I've heard the most about me walking into a room and talking to someone else is they come back to me and they said, they 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 basically say, um, I was so excited about your business that I haven't stopped talking about it. And what's happened at that point is if I've spoken to 10 people and I've excited 10 people about my product or my, my business, and then what they do is they go to 10 other networking events and they meet other people, they start talking about me. And then because they're talking about me, I'm infecting my brilliance without even being in the room. Um, You're becoming a success story. You become a success story. You become you a you, you become do. a case study. You know, but you see what I mean about pandemic, and you yeah. use the pandemic method, and you you insert that into every single aspect of all the places that you. There's a stepping stone here. Use that method. There's a stepping stone here. Use that method, and then eventually, 
you know, 10 steps down the line, you've hit your big goal. I mean, my big goal was getting into Waterstones and I did that within two years or under two years of running Quirk. And 10 months of that was development. So in, I think it was maybe it was 12 months, my first 12 months of sales, I was in Waterstones. Do you think, here's a question for you, in terms of Kickstarter, do you think Mm -hmm. businesses need to start engaging with potential retail clients quicker Quirker, <laughs> rather than sorry, rather than <laughs> rather than having we we'll make that thing. We're going to make that thing. We're going to make that thing, <laughs> rather than um, kind of having a retail pledge as something just to offer. Do you think it'd be worthwhile? I mean, in terms of like what you did with Quark, I think did you have the game I think ready? It's always... As in, was did you have physical copies? I mean, at what point were you pitching to retailers? Were you pitching to retailers when you successfully funded Quirk, or you were you actively pitching to retailers okay. beforehand? It it is interesting. I, so when I when I first launched Quirk, mm. um, I didn't have I wouldn't I'd say I wouldn't have any retailers. I had one shop that actually took twelve packs of cards um, to sell, um, but it wasn't until my second Kickstarter that I actually had retailers that. Quirk Legends, where I had retailers actually um, click the the buy button for retailing my product. But that's because I'd already had one product out and I was already building relationships with retailers. So when I brought my second game out, they instantly said, we want this. Right. And I said, okay, well, in order to get this before any other retailer, then you have to back on the Kickstarter campaign. So yes, it was building those relationships before the Kickstarter um, if we're talking about the second one. Yeah. Um, but I did, on my first campaign, before I even launched my first campaign, I brought 100 games as a test to see what my price point would be when I went to the UK Games Expo. just oh, right. to, to So I knew I could sell the game. Um, and then when I launched on Kickstarter, I knew what my prices were. Um, and then I went from that Kickstarter, I brought 1,000. So 100 was my test run. So I did have copies of the game and that changed tremendously from that first campaign yeah but but yeah i didn't for my first campaign i didn't have retailers it, i built up those relationships as i was building my game up yeah but not everybody unfortunately will have the luxury of being able to make a full production copy of their other their kind of game but that isn't to say they shouldn't consider engaging with retail clients so that's a case of when the kickstarter launches those guys are going in and saying right i have seen, experienced, I'm aware of the product, I'm going to go in and back and kind of support it that way, I guess. I think on the other side of that is with Quirk, it it is a card game. And to have 100 printed at the time, that cost me around £650. So £6.50 per game, which meant I had to then sell at quite a high price range which is, which is why i came at 15 pound and my my prices are slowly dropping uh-huh. as i've been able to buy more volume yeah. so i again it's a the pandemic method where i brought small volumes which cost me a lot of money but i'm i ended up selling 100 and then i sold i sold my first 100 in two months and then once i brought a thousand I, I sold the first thousand in five months i think it was and then i brought three thousand i sold those in the last, I want to say I sold 3,000 in about six months. So basically, you can see the curve of 
if I'm buying in small bulks and I'm being able to sell those small bulks, it's getting faster the amount that I can sell. So mm. by the time I got to Christmas, when when we last spoke, um, I sold, I think it was 1,600 copies and that was just on Amazon. I think I actually sold two, might have been 2,000 copies in six weeks in the lead up to Christmas. So, I mean, I, I don't feel like I'm doing anything because most of the stuff that I'm trying to do is push it away from me um, because I wouldn't have been able to manage 2,000 copies on my own. But I've got Amazon, I've got a distributor. It's now, it's building that stream. But at the, in the very beginning, that pandem- pandemic method is you doing everything mm-hmm. or at least trying to infect your brilliance in so many places, in so many small little pockets of places where you can be shouted about that that starts becoming easier for you. Mm-hmm. Would you go in and help other people? I mean, not on a kind of a, oh, give me some help, but in a kind of, right, I'm coming in and sorting out kind of your, your kind of your board game retail business. I mean, would you become the kind of the Gordon, the Gordon a consultant. Ram? consultant. Well, the Gordon Ramsay cardboard is what I'm thinking about. You go in and, you know, you, your usual, you actually, I mean, you've done See, quite well. I don't well. think I'm that great to be f- <laughs> You've done that well, not but- swelling, not swearing through the show, which I'm always surprised at. Um, because I'm, usually, don't, I'm not the type of person that swears. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> so don't lie. But no, I mean, in terms of that, would you, you know, with your experience, because as I said, again, it's like I will... Can I do a shout out? I got myself a coffee. So if you do want to be <laughs> sending me some coffees, you know, I, I do it for free because I want to help people. And I, I mean, there's a lot of people that didn't help me in the very beginning. And it's really shocking to know two years down the line that I now meet those people that wouldn't help me who now sit down with me for hours, hours of conversation because of the amount of stuff that I've managed to do without their help. Um, and I do, I do think, not in a harsh way, but I do think that there is a lot for someone to do, or at least there is, there's more, more, what's the word? Um, maybe integrity, not probably not integrity, but that it's better for you to go in and do it. I have no idea what that word means. It's better for you to go in and do it yourself yeah. and learn the hard way with sometimes not even asking or trying to ask those questions and not getting the answers because what you're going to learn is your method for doing it. Um, because my method for doing what I've done is not for everyone. And there's so many different ways that you can build the same business or the same, you know, if you want to build a, go into Karen's question, if you want to build a business out of your board games, I'm doing it based on one game that I'm able to replicate over and over and over again with themes. And that's always the way I've wanted to build it because it's scalable. So it's looking at my product in a way that, I mean, it is a business Mm. rather than going in with it solely being a passion project as a card game or a board game. Yeah. Um, Whereas there's other companies that are passionate or they've started, they started building their own games, but what, what you'll realize very quickly is there's no money in in games uh, unless you can get that mass market. And then if you do want that mass market and you're a hobbyist board game, you're going to feel like you sell out. So you're probably going to stop yourself from doing anything amazing with your game because you don't want to feel like you're selling out to a mass audience. Um, but the, the people that are building these businesses, 
um, tend to then start on start making portfolios of games and yeah. they usually bring in other designers and then they help them through that process so that they end up making little bits of money as they're, they're building their volumes of games. Um, but whether or not that is a successful model probably depends on the amount of backers you get on Kickstarter and loyal fans that keep coming back. But it it's a harder method to run. In my opinion, it's a harder method to run because yeah. you always have to constantly have two or three games coming out on Kickstarter. You have to keep doing your marketing campaigns and you're going to get that same thing that you said in this podcast is it becomes a trend. That game comes out. Some people like it. It then sells out, doesn't go back into a reprint because you're too focused on your next product. So then you need more staff yeah. so that they can manage each product and then none of your products get that main highlight. So at some point you'd have to stop and go back to the products you have and keep pushing them into the market so that you get the mass market and you make your business into something. That's my opinion. Um, I haven't run a business like that, but there's a reason why I'm not running it like that. I just, yeah, no, I mean, as I say, it's, um, it's become the norm. It's a hard business to be in. Yeah. It's really difficult to, and I, I, you know, whenever I speak to, you know, um, and I'm going to be speaking. Um, I'm going to be speaking to Cesar from Alley Cat Games, who's kind of taken their model, which is to not be necessarily inventing games, but to actually be publishing a lot of games. Um, yeah, and you know exactly. So that's what they, but, that's what they're but doing. But like with them, I I don't know if that is a workable mo- method for them because I do think. The games that they've produced have got that quality of they're so good that people will continuously buy them. Yes. So their portfolio is actually a lasting portfolio. Yes. But I guess it really does depend on how good that game is that you're working on and your standard of what do we accept as a game that comes into our house as a publishing house. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see what happens with the likes of, say, Dice Hospital, you know, which is there, did really, really well last year and whether or not that's going to go to like a a reprint and a re-release and if there's going to be kind of like a retail a retail tale on that but as I say it's the ever-changing world I mean of- I've even spoken to I, I, I've spoken to massive companies who who they're publishing com- companies and um, I won't mention names uh, but they were talking about how when they the process to having a really successful company that's making millions of pounds year on year that has staff that are in different departments that are actually growing the company. Um, they actually one year before are buying their games for the Christmas next year. So right now there's a lot there's uh, so in September time, they go to all of their clients and then they say, these are the games that we're going to bring out in our portfolio in the next year. Which ones are you interested in to stock in your stores? So they're doing it a year in advance so mm. they can then go to China and they can print 10, 50, 100,000 units because they know exactly what is going to be brought into stores. Yeah. Um, and then by Christmas or September the next year, that then all the games are shipped in, they go into the stores and then they do the run-up to Christmas from September to December. And if you can get that model then you're actually working towards something. But it is still incredibly hard for those big companies to keep winning those those orders because you've got a lot of bigger companies doing that and you've only got, you know, Waterstones or John Lewis and you know, these bargain shops. There's only so many customers. So yeah. how many games and how much shelf space is there? Yeah. Because 
that's what you're competing against. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and as I say, it's um, it's a it's a shame that retail because retail is still a lovely place for a lot of businesses to kind of live, survive, and kind of thrive. But it's like the same for so for, for example with Quirk. There's so many people that. I had someone come to me the other day. I actually haven't replied to the email. I need to. Um, <laughs> but someone come to me and asked me to cut my prices down. And I'm not a big company, so I can't I can't just go, yeah, I'm going to go get 20,000 units from China and yeah. get my prices right down and have, have this lovely product. But because I can't – and I'm, I'm not in that place to be able to say – yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and make that order and then in three months' time I'll make another order because then that's going to come in, they're going to sell. Yeah. I, I can't do that unless I've got the, the back history for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm the way I work with my stock is when something runs out and I print in the UK, obviously, so I in two weeks I know I can have another 6,000 games. And that's, you know, that's the level that I'm printing at, but I'm doing it based on forward momentum and judging but even another good tip so this is the again pandemic method not just in how you work but also in the things that you learn from other people so i got told it takes you seven print runs to be able to have a sustainable profitable business and i think they are very very right that's um that's crazy crazy so that yeah so if you look at any games company you either need to have a sustainable product that's going to keep hitting reprints without kickstarter Mm. um get to seven seven times doing that or you need to have seven products coming out which are have got that profit margin on it for you so that's seven kickstarters i have no words i don't you know as i say it's kind of like it's always really interesting to hear what you have to say because as I say it's a completely different <laughs> it's a completely different take on what a lot of the guests are going to be saying um if people want to ignore me but keep an eye on you where do we find you on the <laughs> internet webs I am at Immerse Studios on social media uh. or www.quirtthegame.com mm. but you'll mainly find me at Immerse Studios mm-hmm. everywhere hanging about everywhere team trevor yeah yeah uh well we i keep saying we might change team trevor because a certain comedian made a boo-boo and now everybody's using hashtag team trevor to support him oh Um, okay but but people are telling me that will die down so you just get like loads of people saying team trevor because they're supporting a comedian then you've got loads of gamers going team trevor and asking random questions (laughs) um i have got it in my port it's in my profile at the moment Um, And also, I want to put it out there that it is an inclusive community. So if you use it, use it, join in the conversation. I can add everybody in a tag every Friday because I don't have enough space and my brain just mounts every time I try and think of someone and I leave someone out and then someone comments and I'm like, I should have put them in there. Um, I love everyone. They're amazing. Um, I can't, can't put everyone in. So I'm really sorry. But join in please join in and like i i'm trying to do i'm trying to push things where people actually show up for themselves so if i say if i don't do a follow friday and i i say um this is a hashtag follow friday um come come and tell me what you do and i'll retweet you like i'm trying to get 
the community together to try and boost everyone up. So if everybody retweeted everyone yeah. who was saying something of importance, like this is the game that I create, um, or I'm a designer or I'm illustrator, or, you know, this is what I do in, in I actually do this in board games, then if I'm retweeting it and then 20 other people are retweeting it, then your reach goes phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the way that I look at it because most of the time you do a follow Friday and my last follow Friday went on for five days and everyone started muting the conversation because they couldn't see any of their other notifications. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah, that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, come to, come to Twitter and join, join us at... <laughs> Hashtag Team Trevor. <laughs> and if you if you never ever want to be ignored, because we'll never ever ignore anybody, um, then you can follow us on Twitter as well at We're Not Wizards and Facebook at We're Not Wizards and YouTube at We're Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast and Instagram at We're Not Wizards. You can find us on our website, We're Not Wizards.com and our blog, which is We're Not Wizards.blogspot.com. You can find us on the podcast catchers of choice and the podcast catchers of no choice, um, which is Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast and Podknife and Podbean and everywhere like that. If you like what you've listened to tonight, um, and you've, you should pretty much, um, you know, um, then consider dropping us a subscription on Apple Podcasts or if you like us even more, consider giving us a rating or review. As we always say, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed, but don't give us one star because um, it makes us cry. Give us five because it's in the middle. We're just, just a bit average and we are um, we are just a little bit average. But the person who is, um, who's definitely been average tonight um, always, always <laughs> stri- stri- <laughs> strives for mediocre remains as average is um is a rather lackluster the rather middle of the road yeah emma may thanks for coming on again are you coming back on again then i thought oh get... am i i don't know yes you are do you want me yeah but th- this is the thing because last time you said i have you on in feb and then it's march so it's just turned march goodness sake don't start complaining is, am i just getting more mediocre every time we speak pretty much yeah <laughs> It's going to like divide them by two and keep going, basically, I think is the way to go. Um, Until I'm never on again. Well, you'll always be on. (laughs) Um, There's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Don't say it. Are we wizards, Emma? No, but we're made of magic. There you go. (laughs) And the second thing is to say goodbye. Say goodbye, Emma. Bye. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes. And um, if you want to, if you want to get a consultant that knows our stuff about retail and getting the tail on retail and board game tails on retail, then uh, give uh, give Emma some consultancy money and she can help you, you know, because she's doing really, really well. But until the next time, goodbye or bye or whatever. Say goodbye, Emma. Bye. 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 Stop it. A wizard is never late.
is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. 